Neil, did you have a good time in Louisville? It was a good time. Uh, I mean, the game didn't turn out the way we wanted, but uh, very well treated there. It was a fantastic trip. And uh, now you just get on to the third game of the season. A little bit more normal. I'm not a big fan of Thursday night games unless I'm just watching them. When it's my team having to play them, I don't like them in football. Ed Marlowe, Neil Bradley. This is the For Those Who Inquired podcast. Those Cardinals are doing better than the St. Louis Cardinals. And I just thought I wanted to, br- I wanted I to bring know. that up. The Cardinals just took two out of three for one of the best teams in baseball. The that's Orioles. actually true. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty good, too. Yeah. No, I mean, it's one of those things, like, just very briefly talking baseball here, I, I still think if at the deadline, if the Cardinals had gone and gotten some pitching, you, you probably, who knows? I mean, I know it's a little bit more 2020 hindsight at this point because the Brewers won the Central, but – I mean, it, they didn't run away with it. I mean, I say they've won the Central. There's still some time, but mm-hmm. they look pretty well in hand with the Cubs and the Reds kind of right there as a possible, yeah. you know, wild card scenario for them, um, which is great. You know, that'd be awesome if that happens. I would love to see the Reds make the wild card, but I'm saying these things because it seems Milwaukee didn't just is just waltz in with it. They've got a lead, but it's not. It didn't seem like it was insurmountable. If you had just found a little bit of pitching there in the middle mm-hmm. to kind of make things happen, because now the offense is getting hot. Yeah, for the Cardinals. So I don't. I don't know. I, I wish I had the answers. What, oh, what are, I, I have are, the answers, but oh. they're not listening. And it wasn't <laughs> good to go get pitching. Uh, well, <laughs> it was to thin out a few spots, though. Sure. Yeah. Um, in, no. the, in the organization. Hmm. But they haven't called. They have my number. I know. I gave it to a guy called Fred Bird with the organization, and uh, he gave you the Fred Bird. He, he said, uh, "Yeah, we'll get in touch with you." So, okay, uh, and I you still haven't, haven't heard from him, but he, he'll probably call. Have, haven't seen that come up on your on your. Uh, I have caller ID. I have not, and I, I know, and I know, you know, Fred Bird one eight hundred. Help uh, me. I know. <laughs> um. Yeah, it is. Thanks. I'm lying to him, but I actually do have. Oh Fred my God, Bird's you actually number. have Fred Bird's I number. I actually do have Fred <laughs> Bird's number in my phone. So it thought I was kidding, but wow. I'm, I'm really not. So. Well played. Well, let's take this just a, a shade more local as we opened up okay. with some some discussion. No, that was terrific. I had no idea. Another amazing revelation here live on the podcast. I had no idea that you had Fred Bird's phone number. You really do, and you have it on speed dial. As a matter of fact, yeah. that's that's got to be a one. So. Murray State football opens up its regular season with a win against Presbyterian. You know, things, you know, obviously you kind of knew the expectation there. It was two teams kind of looking to get off the schneid from last season. Uh, Presbyterian off with a great start to start the game. Then the racers rip off and, and do, you know, extremely well. You had such a quick turnaround with Louisville, and Louisville with so many expectations with, you know, the new hire in Jeff Brom and and kind of kind of preseason – you know, top 25, top 30 discussions based on the recruiting class and who was coming back and who stuck around. And and then I guess it's hard to gauge, and even Dean Hood said this after the Presbyterian game, when you have Presbyterian, then you have Louisville, and you have, we'll talk about Middle Tennessee, but you got Middle Tennessee coming up, and then, you, you know, you don't even get into back into FCS play until, you know, a, a little bit later in September – uh, to a, a more equal opponent, you don't really learn a lot about your about your team. I, and I hate to say that because I don't think they're wasted opportunities, but what was your biggest maybe takeaway from the Louisville game? 
because I know it's I know it's hard to kind of gauge that and get an opinion, but it, there's only so much you can quantify effort. What was your biggest like uh, observance during that during that contest? Well, there was lack of consistency, but I think the main thing to me, and I watched some of Louisville's game against Georgia Tech, was I don't know how much better Louisville is. They've got some amazing looking transfers that have come in to make an impact on that sure. team. Uh, coach Brom is a really terrific coach, so he brings uh, pretty much Purdue's offense in. Right, and um, I'm telling you, I don't. I, they look top twenty-five to me. Now, a few weeks, I may be going like, "Wow, that, that they weren't," but they they looked really good. I, I liked what I saw out of them. Yeah, especially in the second half. That's back-to-back weeks they played well in the second half. Yep. Uh, so I don't really know what I. What I really uh, think about the racers at this point, uh, I mean, they played hard. There was very little consistency on offense or defense. Didn't run the ball as well. That was to be expected. Hey, Louisville's defense is really good. They look, had at, that, look at what they did to Georgia Tech. Yeah, they had the third. Yeah, they, I mean, they shut them out essentially in the second half. I mean, Georgia Tech scored a meaningless touchdown with a minute to go. Didn't nobody matter. But, uh, you know, the, the racers didn't score in the second half either. Didn't score in the first half. They had the three turnovers in the third quarter. Um, that killed consistency. Couple of drop passes, at least three that I can think of balls that would have been thrown for either long gains. One of them would have been a touchdown, but uh, they either were overthrown, underthrown, or one was not thrown at all. It was a wide open player, and a quarterback didn't see him. Now, the the takeaway was uh, the Racers through two games, they only have given up one sack, so they're they're giving good protection. The number one quarterback. Uh, has thrown zero interceptions so far. Mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. that part is really good. Uh, DJ so, Williams, yeah, DJ yep. Williams. Uh, the only the only pick has come from uh, from Eric Phoenix. So um, and I think he was. I think that throw was just a kind of a hope and a prayer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that it, it's just that's that. Uh, defensively, and I thought this could be an issue because you have so much inexperience along the defensive line. I think we have some really good players there, but the results haven't been what you need them to be. Uh, One sack through two games, zero um, quarterback hurries through two games. That's got to change. If not, they're going to get picked to death as far as uh, throwing the ball down the field. Yeah, you're not getting getting a lot of pressure. Yeah, so – that's an area that needs improvement. However, in football, heck, you've you've seen it. Usually, you get that improvement from week one to week two. And the Racers from week one to week two, they played on a Saturday night and then had to play again on the road on a Thursday night against a team that had played Friday. They had that, an extra day, and uh, I'm not using that as an excuse, but I think that might be one of the reasons they're a little bit out of sync in terms of what they would do on a regular football week. This one's a little more like it. I realize they do have a little extra time, but they're going to get back to their routine on what they're doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I do believe you'll see uh, some improvement. Middle Tennessee is really good. They force turnovers. Two years ago, they led the nation in forcing turnovers. The year after that, they were second in the nation. So watch out. You can't turn it over against this team. Uh, is if the racers can take care of the ball, uh, I think they'll have a chance to to hang around in this ball game. But uh, they they have to take care of the ball and put at least some pressure on the quarterback, who's uh, he has a really good completion rate. He doesn't make mistakes either. 
uh, 63% passing rate in uh, Nick uh, Vadiato. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Well, and going back to the Louisville game, and this was brought up to me uh, earlier this week, and it's, it's I think it's worth mentioning. I mean, Pro Football Focus does a really good job actually analyzing FCS players and FBS players, giving them their game-by-game ratings. And then, of course, those ratings can then turn into – uh, what I would consider to be draft capital or better draft stock because you already have a breakdown of where they were most successful uh, as a defensive or offensive player. And uh, Charles Alberti uh, was actually rated as the top cornerback in FBS this past week based on his performance against Louisville. And that's because, you know, you go look at the box score. I have it here pulled up. I mean, he had five tackles, three of them solo. He had two pass deflections, and one of his tackles was for a loss behind you know, behind the line of scrimmage, probably on one of those bubble shots that, you know, the Purdue slash Louisville mm-hmm. offense tries to run. And so, you know, when you have – that's a guy from Laney. That's a that's a pipeline kid from California uh, in, in Alberta who had a really, really good season for Laney Junior College last year. If, you, if, you, if you're recognizing the name Laney, it's because John Beam and Last Chance U season five uh, was all about Laney. Uh, and the Racers have already gotten a player from Laney and John Beam and that popular program now. So, you know, Alberti, I believe, is the second player to come from that program uh, during Dean Hood's tenure. So it's a, it's kind of one of those things like I say that Charles played really well in that game. As a matter of fact, going and looking at the numbers, he was uh, pro football focused. I believe the top scores 100. He was given an 88.1. Uh, Jaden Dennis from Elon was given an 87.2. Isis Waxter of Villanova. And Devon Marshall, Devin Marshall, excuse me, from Villanova, were both uh, three and four. And Ethan Robinson from Bucknell was also given about an, oh, close to an eighty-three. So, about about as good as you can play uh, as a cornerback last week uh, against Louisville. And before a fan out there goes, well, what is that? It's just some website that just crunches some stats, and what, what do they know? Uh, the head coach of Middle Tennessee also brought up Alberti's name, uh, Coach Stocksill, on uh, his. I guess it was his coach's show mentioned uh, Alberti really jumped out. Also Nick Walker, how they just, uh, he has, you know, the, the motor that he has for the ball. So on film, they're very aware of those two players because it certainly showed up to them too. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that looking at the box score here, Walker, six tackles, one and a half tackles for loss. Uh, Cody Goatley had a sack uh, and a tackle for loss. And we know Cody, obviously uh, has a chance to have a really special season this year. And then you had, again, from a defensive standpoint, when the game was – and, again, I'm, not, I'm using this very loosely – when the game was still close. I'm not saying it was in hand or whatever. I'm just saying when the game was still very respectable, Murray State came away with two interceptions, including a big return from uh, from from uh, Reed. And then uh, McGee had an interception later on. So it's just you had this situation – where again, I I'm being realistic. Louisville was up 28 to nothing at the half, and things didn't go well when you had the fumbles. Uh, I, the interception from Phoenix later on, I think, you know, at that point you're just trying to make something happen. You're just trying to let's let's get a play downfield. Can we please move the sticks against Louisville's defense? But those those fumbles, I think, unfortunately, <clears throat> I, I mean, Murray actually ran the ball. I'm going to call it okay. 32 carries for 94 yards. You at least had some forward progress, but losing the fumbles, uh, one from unfortunately from Q Jennings, another one later from Parker Perry. You know that, that there was just two turnovers you didn't need to give Louisville. Yeah, you know those are <laughs> those are touchdowns. Perry's was uh, I think just a youngster that um, 
didn't gather the ball. When he's older, he's going to fall down on it, get to the next play. Mm -hmm. He was still trying to maybe scoop it up and get to the outside and make something happen, and uh, that was not the way to play that. No, and I mean, and those are those are learned. But again, if you're wanting to learn that lesson, I'll be honest. I'd rather learn it against Louisville oh, yeah. than I would in a tight FCS contest where maybe yeah. you know maybe a conference position is on the line. And they'll show that in the film room. That's that's you know you're gonna learn. Hey, you're gonna tell them. Hey, here's what happened. Next time that happened, here's what you do. And that's the players who move forward. Is uh, when you make a mistake, you learn from it. Yeah. And I, I I'm really high on that kid, man. He's got some speed. He's got good hands. Uh, he's he's going to be a good one. I want to briefly mention, uh, before going back to some Murray State news, just the fact, you know, you see the second week of rankings for FCS football, and uh, I'm pulling it up right here. You've got South Dakota State comes in number one, North Dakota State number two, uh, Southern Illinois at 18, North right. Dakota at 13. Didn't mean to skip over them. There's four teams in the conference. That's the coaches' poll, right? And this is the, uh, I believe it's the coaches' poll. The stats poll, they're 14 and 15. Okay. North Dakota's ranked ahead of them. This is the one that was tweeted out on September 11th uh, by NCAA FCS football. Yeah, that's the coaches' poll. Okay. Thank you, Neil, teaching me things. I certainly needed to know that. The... the it's one of two. It's, it's well, They're then, usually pretty close. Well, and then Illinois State's 25th. In the coaches' poll, so there's and they're not ranked in the other poll. So, so, but that's that's how good. And then Simo, of course, former, you know, former former uh, Ohio Valley Conference foes and, and regional opponents. Uh, Murray State doesn't play Simo this year, but if they ever do again, hopefully uh, we could get in the press box. Right. Well, oh, <laughs> there is that. sorry. That. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nightmares. Uh, but no, they they're really good too. And uh, and then of course you know Chris Hatcher's Sanford team uh, just lost to Western Carolina, uh, but they're uh, they're uh, one and one and they're ranked 14th in the coaches' poll. So that's totally random. But just talking about the Missouri Valley Football Conference, one two in the coaches' poll, uh, 13, 18, and 25. Yikes! And I say these things, and SIU had the FBS win yeah. against Northern Illinois. Yep. When they they beat him what fourteen to eleven, is that yes. right? Yeah. I don't even know. We and we've been there. Murray State, uh, Katie Humphreys, and that that team with Mitch Stewart played at NIU. Yeah. Uh, one of the first games I actually covered as a racer beat reporter was was that game. You know, with Katie and those guys uh, at NIU, and that was fun. That was that was a fun fun atmosphere. So to hear that SIU got paid to go win that game. Uh, tells me all I need to know. That's how tough the top of the league is going to be this year. And I know we're we're going to continue to iterate that and reiterate that. But it's also just interesting to watch the rest of the league perform and see kind of what they're going to do. You know, as we move through the season, yeah. I want to see kind of where you know where things are headed. I I was curious. One of the more interesting things about the Middle Tennessee game, uh, and you've already mentioned a few notes about kind of where they are. They lost to Alabama, which again they they got paid for that game. They Played a very very close game with Missouri. Kind of mm-hmm. had you, you mentioned pre podcast. They kind of had a chance there to maybe sneak out a final possession and just didn't get that opportunity. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, maybe is it a storyline at all that Mitch Stewart is the offensive coordinator for Middle? It, I'm sure it is a storyline. I mean, it's mentioned in the, the game notes from both schools, but it's not like the main storyline. 
I mean, you know, Mitch is in charge of an offense, and he's really good at that. And I think they'll be good. Uh, right now they're not rolling, but take a look at the competition they yeah. played. Oh, sure. Absolutely. That's, that's, a, that's a big role on no that. No question. But, you know, Mitch hasn't changed. He has to get a, you know, a ton of bubble screens and a lot of things like that that, that are going to be uh, – uh, really huge for for Middle Tennessee as the season goes on. Right. However, the racers also are uh, familiar with with what Mitch does. However, uh, you know, you, for years you'd say, "Man, what if Mitch had a defense?" Well, he's got one. He's not the head coach, but he's got a defense. They're yeah. really good defensively. They are. And uh, uh, but it, it is a storyline. You know, I'm sure there's, uh, you know, I don't know if I'll get a chance to see Mitch because we're usually in the booth by the time they get out. But if he's up in the press box, I'll definitely make my way over and say hello to him. No, sure. absolutely. But uh, well, I think a lot of Mitch, uh, he was really good, good guy when he was here. And, uh, you know, but, you know, football, it, sometimes you move on for good reasons and sometimes they're not so good. No, absolutely. One of the things they've also already announced, too, and this is for anybody going to the game, that Boulevard Bar and Grill, uh, Murray State alumni has announced that that's actually going to be a pregame party uh, in uh, in Murfreesboro, Saturday, September 16th from 3 until 5. Uh, kickoff, I believe, is at 6. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Froggy, 103.7. So you're going to be, you know, hanging out there. Um, it's – I'm just trying to – like – I don't know what you get from this game either. I mean, I know it's a paycheck game, and I know you. I know it's their family weekends, their big celebrations. They're also their their home opener, so there's a bit of a you know mm-hmm. two former really to be fair two former OVC opponents years and years ago. So there is a little bit of uh, I don't know if camaraderie is the right word, but there's at least an understanding of where things have gone for Middle Tennessee and and where things are for Murray State, and certainly you know two different paths to college athletic success, I think. But I just – I don't know what you get from this game either because Middle's competition at the FBS level is just so much different than mm-hmm. Murray State football. And you go look at Middle's roster, some of the recruits and some of the transfers they brought in, just a little bit bigger – you know, a little bit bigger price tags, you know, a little, little, bit, little bit more, you know, heft to them. And I, I just don't know what you take away from this game either other than – you know, let's hopefully not turn the ball over. Let's maybe win the turnover battle. Let's continue to protect our quarterback. Let's make sure we walk away injury-free, you know, which didn't happen last year. So those are the types of things. I don't know how you navigate those things and still learn a lot about your team. I just don't know how that works. That's above my pay grade, and I'm, I'm maybe I'm just open – I'm asking that open-ended question. What do you hope to see – when you get ready to make the call, well, the the turnovers you definitely want to take care. Of. of course, the goal is zero, but you got to keep it at one, one or zero. Uh, I think that's progress. I want to run the ball better, a little more consistently. I think have a little more consistency from the quarterback position and and the receiving position too. Don't drop the passes. Yeah, uh, the, the the guys who are there open, you got to hit those guys, uh, and then defensively. Get some pressure on the quarterback. Uh, make them work for it. Make them put drives together. They got to eliminate the explosive plays. There were way too many in the Louisville game. Uh, make there middle, were three or four in the Presbyterian game. Yeah, they got to make middle work for it. So uh, that's something that, that they hope to do. Now, you know, second half against Presbyterian, the racers much better in that regard. I think having the the full week and being on a regular schedule will sure. certainly help the racers. Um, uh, everybody gets on the bus is going to go with the mindset that they're going to win the game. That's the kind of team you want to have. Realistically, 
you want to uh, be in the game and perhaps have uh, put yourself in a chance to maybe pull off an upset in the fourth quarter. But uh, you're just playing a quarter at a time. I know that that's an old coach speak, but you're just trying to, to uh, you know, get, get a winner a time the first quarter and be in the game at halftime, something that the Racers have been pretty good at under Dean Hood uh, for the most part in the FBS games, uh, you know, tied at Cincinnati, tied at Bowling Green. So they have had some success in that area. And uh, last year we just kind of erased that one because of all the uh, the injuries. But, yep. but we'll see. Uh, I, I feel – I still really feel good about the team, but in terms of gauging where they are after this game, I do not know. Uh, then they get the bye week, and then it's on. Yeah, for uh, eight straight weeks. Yeah, from that from that point forward, it really is kind of a race to the finish. It is. And again, I, I said this at the you know we were at the first press conference later on in this podcast. I actually will drop the about 16, 17 minutes worth of audio from B.J. Williams, Taylor Shields, and uh, Coach Dean Hood. Uh, you know, I, I happen to be. Uh, on site for the press conference, which, by the way, is back in the old racer room, the Dennis Jackson room. Uh, I've got some nice memories there of eating a lot of pizza with you guys and uh, hanging out with some of the coaches and some of the players there. Uh, but it is good to be back in that room, uh, which, by the way, is is immaculate. Looks it's, totally look, different. It looks totally it? different. It does. Uh, but it's still a special part of Roy Stewart Stadium. Yeah. And, again, a lot of stories have been told in those rooms and in that room specifically. And... Uh, you know, it was kind of cool to just kind of step back in there and, and hear the coach and, and the players talk. But I'll add their comments uh, toward the end of this podcast. But one of the things that I definitely wanted to mention, you know, coming into coming into this situation, and I said this at that press conference, I don't know if there is such a thing as a bye week coming at a good time. I'm not sure. I, I don't know the math on that. I'd need to take a look at some before and after analytics. But the bye week for Murray State football, I feel like this year does fall at a very opportune time. It is. Last year was bad. This yeah. year is really good. Yeah, and I and I and again, I don't know how to necessarily quantify that. I think, I think if you look at that scenario, he, coaches are just going to say, "Coach speak." Ah, well, bye week's here. Yeah. But I just feel like, from this perspective, it is quite literally like the difference between freshman orientation and 101 and 102 English. Like you can absolutely take a look at everything that worked in three games, which were all by and large, very different types of opponents. Mm -hmm. Take a look at where you're going to, you know, this is your aptitude test. Here's where we think we are. And then eight straight weeks of FCS equal opponents, or at least what feel like equal opponents. I mean, we can get into budgets, we can get into facilities, we can get into all that some other time, but at least on paper, these are your opponents. This is your challenge. Um, to this is your gauntlet to get to where you think you need to go. Here's here's what you need to do. You can absolutely assess, you know, for the first three weeks. Hey, all right, here's what we're gonna run. Here's the offense we think works. Here's our third down. Um, here's our A gap, B gap. Here's our protections. Those are the types of things I think you can assess moving from that bye week on in, into what, again, are supposed to be like-minded opponents. And it's a – to me, it's sort of like having a preseason, three-game preseason, yeah. and then you move on to your eight-game regular season. I realize they all count, but you do have that week in there, which I think is perfect, that as long as it's not a serious injury, your little nags, a little bit of a, a, bit of a tight hammy, something like that, 
that's going to be worked out with that extra week off, and you should be able to, for the most part, head into conference play reasonably healthy as far as the little nagging injuries. You know, fingers crossed that you don't get anything serious, but that's the chance you take when you play football every week. It's a tough game, and it's hard-hitting, and there's going to be some. You know that. Well, yeah, what a, what a perfect segue. It's almost – Actually, you didn't know what I was going to go with next, but I, I am going to go ahead and I am going to go ahead and say this. Quincy Williams was hard hitting on Monday Night Football. Uh, yes. The former Murray State racer, by the way, there were a lot of people, and I was tuned in in the second half when I got home from work. There were a lot of people locally who had that television on, not just because of the unfortunate Aaron Rodgers injury. Uh, Godspeed there. Um, we saw his Achilles tendon pretty much rip off on national television four four snaps into the game. Uh, and then his leg was the fifth snap, unfortunately. But uh, Quincy Williams at one point was trending on national media through Twitter X. Um, Ten tackles, nine solo, which is a hell of an effort for a linebacker this day and age in the NFL, um, especially with the number of snap counts that they go through. Also had a major tackle for loss late in the second half, uh, a pass deflection. Uh, that one-yard loss ended up stymieing a big drive from from Buffalo. And, uh, yeah, they stole that win, uh, quite frankly. Zach Wilson, you know, was pretty good in the second half. Uh, Garrett Wilson, the Wilson-to-Wilson connection that everybody was talking about was really good. But, honestly, holding Buffalo to 16 points and four turnovers uh-huh. uh, and Quincy Williams being a big, big reason why defensively they weren't able to move down the field, I, I mean – Quincy had 106 combined tackles last year in 15 games. The year prior, his big breakout with the Jets, he had 110 combined. Uh, There's a reason why he got a three-year contract coming into this year, and the man played like he had never earned a contract on Monday Night Football. And again, national media all over his effort. The thing about it is Quincy has probably, I'd say the biggest knock on his game over the last 24 months of NFL football is his, in a, I don't want to call it inability. That's not the right word. Um, his lack of experience covering NFL, the NFL passing game. It's a passing league. You you know as well as anybody, Neil. You've, you've watched a lot of football. The last 10 years, the NFL has really transitioned to a pass-first league. Uh, and he's really a kind of a run-first linebacker. Mm-hmm. He's, gonna, he's a missile. We, we saw it here at Murray. We know he got drafted by Jacksonville because of his speed. But there's the second element of the game of you've got to be able to cover the flat, not from a running perspective. I mean, that helps, but you need to be able to cover five receivers Mm -hmm. at all times. Really? There's a lot of offenses in the NFL. They're going to throw three wide, four wide and five wide. And you're not dealing with an I formation as frequently. You're not dealing with a pro formation as frequently. You're not dealing with triple options and stuff like that, where he probably would be most suited attacking the line of scrimmage. So to see the pass deflection and the tackle for loss, and the fact that he was able to close so effectively sideline to sideline, probably one of his better singular games just based on the number of eyes that were on it. He's had some great games graded over the last two years for the Jets. But I would say the number of public eyes was one of the most watched football games of the weekend for obvious reasons. I mean, the, the injury to Aaron Rodgers right away had everybody wanting to turn into it and, and tune in and, and see what was going on. But then number two... The Jets just played so well defensively. Uh, Safety Julian Whitehead made his bonus 
with the three interceptions in that first game. His contract bonus. He made a $250,000 contract bonus because he had all three interceptions. Wow. His contract bonus was three interceptions, $250,000. Nailed it in the first week. How about that? Everything else after this is just the gravy train. But speaking of that gravy train, Quincy signed that three-year, what, $17 million deal in the offseason. And I don't mean this like this sounds, but it's easy to be like, I made it. I got it. Here I am. I'm, I'm really, really comfortable. Um, I'll just go out there and play. And I, I mean, quite literally, Quincy's effort was well talked about on social media. And it's easy to see why. Go look at the video. I mean, he was relentless at the line of scrimmage. And nine solo tackles, that is not common at the linebacker position anymore because there is so much emphasis on gang tackle uh, in the NFL. And it should be because those are the best players in the world. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't do this one-on-one. But nine solo tackles tells you that he, he was prepared to, to go to battle. I've seen him do the same, just not in green. You know? yeah. that just, it's just in, usually in blue. Yeah. But, man. Well, and it was in teal yeah. uh, with Jacksonville. So That's right. Um, that was my probably favorite part, but it's really close uh, between that and Jack's American Pub in Milwaukee. You heard this, right? Yes, but I do want you to tell our yeah, listeners. Jack's American who's Pub. This. They did this a couple of weeks ago. They it's, said it's it's a great. If story. the Jets lose, you win. Uh, you come in. They're uh, so mad at Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, they don't they don't like Aaron Rodgers. So in Milwaukee, uh, if uh, the Jets lose, you win. Come in. You have to open your tab fifteen minutes before kickoff, and Aaron Rodgers has to start. If right. that happens, your tab is free. If the Jets lose, right. So, of course, you just talked about what happened. He gets hurt, and boy, was there some drinking going on after that. They were thrilled. <laughs> the Jets, hey, come on. They, were they don't certain. have a chance. They were certain. They don't have a chance with, I mean, first of all, I mean, mentally, they're out of it. They're starting quarterbacks out. They have no chance to win this game. And not Keep only them that, coming. But Give such, me 10. Such Give me 20. <laughs> Four more pitchers right here. What? What? Huh? The Jets won? Oh, no. Oh, man. I don't have mortgage money now. And it happened on live television. That was the best part. (laughs) The fact that it was happening pretty much in real time because of the reporting going on there was a live scene of, hey, we're here. We're here to hang out. We're having a great time. We know Aaron Rodgers got hurt. We got all these people betting, you know. Yeah, I like Rogers, but you know, I need, I, I want to. I like I want beer free, more. I want free beer, and then all <laughs> right. of a sudden, oh yeah, the 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 best part about it because that obviously went viral soon after the game. The best part about it was the look on people's faces. Yes, as their souls drained out yes. of their body, realizing that they were actually fixing to have to cash out. Yeah, instead of uh, you know, they might have had a couple of beers and uh, you know have a twenty five thirty dollar tab. Might have had a few whiskeys in there, and suddenly it's one hundred eighty-five, two hundred fifty dollars. I've had a couple tabs like that. I'm gonna buy a round for everybody. Yeah, put it on my tab. <laughs> Come on. Oh, we're all getting no. rounds. <laughs> and you're oh, all. Oh, I messed up. And that's and that, but that's you know sports sports betting, and this is technically, I guess, in a way, a lot of way of, of a way of gambling, which of course now sports betting open uh, in Kentucky, uh, uh, digitally on September twenty eighth, but in person already as of September seventh. The uh, that was a form of betting for them in a lot of ways. They, it pretty much was. Yeah, that, that, the, yeah. the house and the house won. That that's true. <laughs> quite quite tough, literally tough lesson because sometimes you. That's the thing about betting to me. That's why it's so dangerous because sometimes it looks like 
I can't believe they're letting me make this bet. I'm stealing money from them. Yeah. And it doesn't turn out that way. No, it does not. Oh, that yeah. didn't go well. It I mean, they're going to let me put uh, money that the, the New York Mets are going to beat the Orioles in the 69 Orioles series? There's no way that's going to happen. It wasn't going to kill them. Uh, it didn't happen. Yeah, so, no, it did not. I mean, <laughs> it did so, not. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of uh, things that look really one-sided that turn out not to be so one-sided. Uh, you know, Villanova, uh, the year that they – uh, with Rolly Massimino winning the NCAA tournament. They were the eight seed that year, they? weren't, weren't they? supposed to. Yeah, they weren't. Come on. Yeah. I wonder go what ahead the, and stack it up there, buddy, because you're would, not winning. Like, I wonder won. what the odds were. I'm going to go back and look that up at some point. I'm gonna, let me write that down and remind myself. I wonder what the odds were for uh, eight seed Villanova at that point, because I'm sure there was a book somewhere. I mean, I'm certain there was a book. Yeah. I'm curious what going into the well, tournament. The, yeah, that there's, book I don't was. know if there's a one where you could find online, but yeah, there's – there's, there's Somebody been, was running a yeah, book somewhere. Yeah. You can roll through the Bible. There have been bets placed. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Many <laughs> chapters. Yes, yes. Actually. Several of them. Uh, <laughs> the the money that's changers. Gonna... Come on. Bet on this rooster here to beat that rooster. Come on. Yeah, and that did not you that know, did not occur. No, no I mean, but that's that's the game you play. And uh, unfortunately, those, those Wisconsiners lost. Um, speaking of betting, uh, I want to pivot here. Uh, Cameron Payne, I believe, is betting on himself. Uh, and I say that, I, I don't know how those conversations work either. Uh, just to mention very quickly, Cameron Payne, former Murray State racer, is headed. Uh, well, we don't know where he's headed. Um, he's been bought, he's been, uh, uh, he's been waived by uh, San Antonio Spurs, of course traded there uh, in the middle uh, of the offseason prior to the NBA draft as the Phoenix Suns try to figure out their roster situation and their cap situation. Uh, San Antonio, you know, made that trade. Got some cap space, you know, draft pick, whatever. They were able to clear up some some of their roster situation and as well. Money. And money. Six million plus. Correct. They were able to shave off quite a bit. And so you you have this scenario now where Cam is kind of, you know, it was pretty well reported by uh, Adrian Wojnarowski and and uh, and several others. Uh, 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 Sham Sharanya as well from, uh, from The Athletic. There was a lot of just discussion about you know, Cam has actually had, and I'm not going to break down all the numbers right now, but you take a look at his last couple of years uh, and just kind of the moments where he's been extremely valuable for the Phoenix Suns, who, by the way, can't re-sign him unless he is picked up and waived by another team. Uh, that's just like a bird rights rule. You just can't do it. Because, I mean, honestly, Phoenix probably needs a point guard, mm -hmm. but they needed the money more. And uh, that's no disrespect to Cam because, obviously, he was pretty well-liked you know, in the Phoenix organization and in the Phoenix fans. Um, but they also have to pay for four all-stars now. So that's uh, how that works uh, and a big reason why they trade Chris Paul. But, you know, you have that scenario where Cam now is pretty free to kind of take a look around and see, you know, here's where I am. I'm not even 30 years old yet, but I've been in the league X years. I've been out, come back. He can kind of take a look at a scenario. Woj actually reported that Cam will very likely look for a contender. And, I mean, at some point I think I'd like to break down who that'll be. But, I mean, I, I think shooting off the top of my head, he, he has options. It's just going to depend on about the mutual respect and the amount of money he can make. And those are two very important mm -hmm. things at this point in his career. And I think he probably still wants to contribute. I mean, it's one thing to be a reserve player – who's only going to average six, seven points per game or less, play 10, 11 minutes, maybe 15, and be a 
bottom five rotation player. I, he was a critical rotation piece and actually played really well in the Western Conference playoffs later on as Chris Paul, of course, had to navigate another injury scenario. And so I think, you know, what's Cam's value at that point? Well, two teams right away in the Western Conference that, well, one in the Western, one in the Eastern, that kind of come to mind for me that need point guard help are the Utah Jazz and the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, Milwaukee has won a championship against Phoenix. He's experienced that. Um, and I don't think playing for Giannis Antetokounmpo would be a terrible thing. I mean, he's one of the best players Probably in the not. world. Yeah. And then Utah was one of those teams last year that was just Danny Ainge, now the GM. They traded everybody off. They made a lot of room on their roster. They brought all these different guys in, and they brought in Colin Sexton and you know Laurie Markin in the finisher. They did all this stuff, and then they ended up being more than respectable with all of these draft picks that they've now acquired. Mm-hmm. And so... In my mind, that's two teams that I think really fit what Cam could do for them right. moving forward. And, again, that's just an opinion. I'm sure he's got some time. Camp doesn't open for another three and a half weeks for the NBA. He certainly can take the opportunity and kind of feel out where that's supposed to be and where the mutual you know, mutual uh, respect and, and belief is. But I think the, the fun scenario – I will say this, and it's been it's been mentioned by John Hollinger, a former you know assistant GM for the Memphis Grizzlies. But Memphis would be a absolutely like I don't hate it. They've got a log jam on the roster, but Jaw's going to be out twenty five games. You brought in Derrick Rose for goodwill and nine hundred one friendship, and and really still his skill set and his veteran leadership. You brought in in a huge trade for Marcus Smart, so there's two point guards, but. You kind of need some wing help. And I'm not saying Cam would be amazing wing help, but you've got room on the roster mm-hmm. and, and a need for point guard depth. And he's a Memphis native. And it's kind of a it's kind of a sexy thing. I, I in my opinion, I think that's. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Racer fans would lose their mind if two racers were on the same roster. It would be absolutely from that perspective, locally and regionally. And any Murray State alumni across the world, they would look at that scenario and be like, "That's a dream come true." The Memphis Grizzly Racers, I like it. The, the, the Grizz Racers, the Grizz Grizzly Racers. Yeah, one is it one word or hyphenated? I don't know. Some people just don't like the hyphens. They hate them. I, so. I like hyphenators. They don't. They don't bother me. I, I, I'm thinking about it, and again, I it's it's so they're so young on their bench, but they have a lot of talent, and that's not, I'm not saying Cam wouldn't fit. I just don't know if they make room, but they do have a roster spot available based on last year's finish and a couple of injuries that occurred. So they have another roster spot available that they can use to excise that type of maneuver if that's, you know, but you've got more than one NBA pundit saying that Memphis should kick the tire, kick the tires on Cam mm-hmm. and bring him in as a veteran presence, you know, after letting Tyus Jones, you know, sign elsewhere in the offseason. So I don't hate it. I know Cam and John ja know each other. I know that mm-hmm. they've spent time playing uh, in some, you know, in some in some different types of circuit games around Memphis, I know that they've worked out together at times. I don't know how that scenario fits, but I don't, I don't hate that either. That's mm-hmm. certainly, you know, if you're looking at playing time, I think probably teams like Milwaukee and Utah might be the option. Right. If you're looking at 
a goodwill slash veteran role where you know that you could offer some key minutes and key situations and you've been there and done that in the finals and the in the Western Conference playoffs and so on and so forth, maybe Memphis is the play. I think that fits him better down the road. Not now. Yeah, it may not. That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know where that fits. I, I just, from an availability standpoint, I mean, it would be kind of cool to come home. I, yeah. I do. I will say that. And um, I'll just leave it at that. You know, obviously we're going to see moving down the road. I mean, his, his career's not over in the NBA. His contract will be sought out. Um, there is going to be a team, I've already mentioned three, that are probably going to at least inquire and see, hey, listen, what do you want to do? We, here's what we need. Does this fit your agenda? Does it fit our agenda? You know, they, right. he, he may not get a phone call at all, but it does seem to be, you know, league officials and, and league profilers do seem to think that Cam's going to get a phone call at some point before camp opens in three and a half weeks. And who that team is and who he decides to sign with will be really interesting. And who knows? Maybe he decides to go play in Europe and wait it out. I have no idea. Um, that is certainly a viable option these days. A lot of money over in Europe and, and even Asia. I tell you another sleeper team, and I know they have a ton of point guards. Dallas would be an interesting fit, in my opinion, as would Brooklyn. Dallas would fit because that's where he actually got restarted with the Texas Legends, uh, and he's in the G League, and he certainly, you know, he certainly could back up guys like Luka Doncic in a very different role, obviously, uh, but as a ball handler. And Kyrie Irving is going to need to be spelled, um, but they also still have Dennis Smith, and they, they they've got point guard options there. Um, Brooklyn, in my opinion, makes a little bit of sense because his best friend, Mikhail Bridges, plays there. And Mikhail just got out of Team USA, you know, in, in the FIBA World Cup, which, you know, unfortunately did lose to Canada in the third round game, the third the, the third place game, uh, to, to Dylan Brooks in Canada, who former Memphis Grizzly player. I tell you another team, and I hate to say this too because it's just of recent events, but the Houston Rockets now need a point guard. You know, but from a contention standpoint, there's playing, there's there's minutes there, but from a contention standpoint, they're one of the youngest teams in the league. Now I say that they're also super exciting. You got Jabari Smith Jr. You've got, um, oh my gosh, I mean you have uh, well wrapped around Alperen Sengun. You have um, Jalen Green. So I mean you've got some youth there. So again, that's several teams that I've mentioned. Uh, Brooklyn, I think, kind of makes even a little bit of sense just with Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson, his former his former son's teammates. So just want to throw all those types of scenarios out there. Obviously, Racer Nation will be watching where, where Cam goes uh, moving forward. And then uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about with you, Neil, the NBA has announced the new resting rules at today, actually, the new resting rules that were just voted on. And without, without breaking down every single rule, I do want to mention that of the rules, um, it's 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 all about the resting the multiple star players at the same time. And according to ESPN, the NBA's definition of a star, here are the teams with multiple stars. Celtics, Sixers, Warriors, Clippers, Lakers, Suns, Kings, Grizzlies, Bulls, Cavaliers, Bucks, Hawks, Heat, Timberwolves, and Mavericks. And that's based on the fact that they have multiple players that have either made All-NBA or All-Star in the last three seasons. There's now rules against that. You and I have talked about the penalties, about what that, what all that's going to entail pre-podcast, about how, you know, at first it's like $100,000, and then it eventually gets up to like $1.25 million, you know, for resting your players and breaking these rules. John Morant is also one of 49 players 
in the last three years to either be an all-star or an all-NBA player. And, of course, jokes aside, he is going to be resting for 25 games to start the season. Moving forward after that, what are your thoughts on that? Because I've heard several different opinions just within the last 12 hours about, well, I'm paying to go see these players, but then these players deserve rest. How do you balance that? Uh, don't they have days off during the week? As long as you don't have a back-to-back. There's your days off. That's done. Yeah. All right, problem solved. Next, they're being paid a lot of money to play ball. If that's too hard for them, come out here. We got a job. I'll put them on an afternoon drive at the radio station. <laughs> they won't make as much, but <laughs> there you po- go. I'm just telling you. It's a good point. They have days off. Yeah. Now, g- granted, they're going to have to, you know, e- even, you know, MLB, they, they give guys days off. But I mean, it's 162 game schedule as right. opposed to an 82 game schedule. Half as long, right? And um, there was, you know, there will be times I think maybe they should revisit that where maybe you could give your star one or two and you could just choose whenever you do it. You get a couple where you can just give them a day off. Like a hall pass. Yeah. Just yeah. kind of one or two. Uh, I, I don't, maybe that's something they can do down the road that gives the team just a little bit of flexibility with their star players. However, here's the other part teams with no star players, they have no penalties. They can rest any guy they want to anytime they want, right? Well, as a matter of fact, they announced today that because of his age, guys like LeBron James actually don't fall under this rule, despite the fact that LeBron James remains as one of the top and yeah. the top player. I, I don't mean I'm not trying to create an argument here. So, at me all you want, but well, that's one of what, the, that's the one of the greatest players yeah. in the league right now. His age is a factor. Uh, he's not able to play. He he was not able to play eighty two games last year. Right. Still, when he's on the floor, he's the best player on the floor. I'm not going to dispute that. I'm not going to get into who's better, LeBron or someone else. But because of his age, he doesn't fall in this scenario. He's actually eligible for rest. Okay. I don't necessarily yeah. think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing age. either. Yeah, because he's a tremendous commodity for his team yeah and you want him as high a level as he can be as often as he can be and if you played him every day and it's not just i'm not saying not pointing him out play anyone his age every day it's just not going to go well he's 39 yeah you're not there yet but when you get there ed you'll know oh wow i know what they're talking about now because it's a little tough doing the game probably He's probably close to what he used to be in, in a lot of aspects. It's the recovery. Yes, you don't. You're the next day. You just don't hop up. And go. Yeah, let's ready to go. It's like, wow, man, I can barely get out of bed today. That was rough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, football players that that's happened to, uh, NFL guys that I've heard talk about it or uh, have talked with, say that you know you play on Sunday when you're a young pup, uh, you're sore Monday. Little sore Tuesday, Wednesday, you're ready to rock. You play for four or five years, that gets to Thursday. Right. And it gets to Friday. And then by the time you're 30, you're just as sore the next Sunday as you were the Monday. It never leaves. That's it the just difference. Lingers it with just you. Yeah, it, that's, it, the recovery just doesn't happen. And in basketball, I'm sure that there's an element of that as well. Uh, not, not to compare the physicality of football and basketball, but it's still grueling to go up and down the court as much as they do, as often as they do. 
it, uh, it has to take a toll, especially on older players. So I'm at least glad that's in there. So real quick, I'll just run through the rules uh, as we motor on. No more than one star player is unavailable for the same game. Rule one, actually. Number two, and this is per ESPN.com. Teams must ensure that star players are available for national TV and in-season tournament games, which this is the first year for an in-season tournament game near Christmas, uh, to determine kind of a mid-season champion uh, and games of value. Uh, rule three, teams must maintain a balance between the number of one-game absences for a star player in home games and road games with a preference for those absences to happen in home games. So it's all about road revenue at that point. Uh, four, teams must refrain from any long-term shutdown or near shutdown when a star player stops participating in games or plays in a materially reduced role in circumstances that infect the integrity of the game. There's a lot of rules there. Matter of fact, ESPN mentions here, the same would have been the case for Damian Lillard, who set out the Blazers' final 11 games with right calf soreness when the team was already out of playoff contention. So under the new rule, they would have been investigated by the NBA for potentially violating this policy. Okay. So that's kind of spicy. And then, of course, you know, not to get into that, that's a whole other diatribe, but Damian Lillard might be traded, you know, before the season starts. So we'll see how that goes. But then number five, teams must ensure that healthy players resting for a game are present and visible to fans. So that's certainly... I like that. I do too. And that's something... But I will say this. You made a great point pre-podcast as well about, you know, how do you work up the medical integrity factor of this? I mean... (laughs) Coach, I don't feel good. Yeah, the sick at sick your how stomach's you, tough to prove. Yeah, hey, I feel nausea. I feel like I'm going to throw up. Tough to prove that sprained ankle stuff like that. You can take yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he's got this. It's tough to prove it on some of those things. And sometimes they may be telling the truth. Maybe they are sick. Sure. Then other times they may well, get some rest. Yeah, I'm sick. So, but you're right. Medical. I, I had. Uh, uh, Dr. Hal Houston told me, I don't remember which football coach he said, because he worked on several, uh, but he said uh, usually the, the coach would keep multiple doctors, and if he didn't get the answer he liked out of one doctor to Rotating. Clear a player, he'd get the next doctor. Huh. Is he, can he play? Yeah. Well, Dr. So-and-so <laughs> multiple said he can opinions. play. That's right. Right. <laughs> so, well, and, and so the crazy thing is, one of the things that they've also, and again, I know not everybody in the NBA is going to be an all-NBA player. Not everybody's going to make the all-star game, so this doesn't necessarily apply to everybody which i do think is a fair question joe darnell actually brought that up to me as well you know what is it that memphis you know memphis's two stars technically right now are jared jackson jr you know and john morant mm-hmm. okay well Ja, if he was playing can't rest Ja or jaron same night they gotta alternate or whatever and do that sort of stuff and rest is different than injured injured if they're injured they're injured Correct. i mean you know ankle rolled that's a different scenario altogether. Correct. All right, gotcha. Yeah, and so the main thing that I'm actually curious about, and he made a great point, and it's one that's certainly worth discussing, but it's like, what about Desmond Bain? Well, by rule, he's technically not a star, even though he did just sign the most lucrative contract in Memphis Grizzlies history and is one of the best three-point shooters and, and all-around scorers in the league right now. He's also extremely young. He's It's a matter of time before he's going to be considered a star. Uh, and what about Marcus Smart, who – you know, is just got traded from Boston to Memphis, but is technically considered a star based on his uh, all NBA defensive capability and all that sort of stuff. Well, what defines that? Well, they did set the rule of all NBA and all star game. Um, so from that perspective, that's what's going to define the rule at this point. Okay. But you look at Marcus Smart and his contract and how much it cost to trade for him, which was, you know, quite a bit by Memphis. It's like, 
Okay. Well, what truly really defines a star? Desmond Bain is fixing to make two hundred plus million dollars well, on his rookie extension. Shouldn't be the money. You could pay anybody the money, couldn't you? I guess they that's could true. sign me to to play for Memphis, as long as it was in the money they had for the cap. Yeah, but you're an all star, Neil. Well, that's I'm not, the thing. No, I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. you can't go by the money. Some some people will way overpay for some. Some guys aren't going to be worth it. It's all based, Others it's are going to be a on bargain. Value yeah, and what the team is able so to acquire. There's a much fairer way, and I think the way that they chose is better than. Well, let's see who makes the most money. Well. I, that's not well, good. they're already trying to prevent teams from resting players, and this is the final point that I'll make on this. ESPN, you know, indicated there are two major ways in which the NBA has taken steps to prevent this type of resting moving forward outside of these new rules, and that's number one: players must have played in at least sixty-five regular season games, or in at least sixty-two regular season games, suffered a season-ending injury, and played in at least 85% of the games in order to qualify for MVP, All-NBA, Defensive Player of the Year, All-Defensive Teams, Most Got Improved it. Players, right. for the for the, for the the postseason accolades, for the postseason gotcha. awards. So you have to play. It's part of the reason John Morant's suspension is so powerful is because he will not qualify for these types of scenarios by the end of the year. He no will, matter how great his numbers could possibly be correct because he will be out 25 games it's which is which is more of the time i got you. than an 82 game season and uh, it's right on the cusp as a matter of fact i went back and looked he won most improved player having played like 58 games that year um you know because he had to sit for you know injury that that season and it's, i'm assuming there are performance bonuses in these players contracts correct too. so if one of those could be, hey, if you're named an all-star for blah, blah, blah. Accelerators. You get yep. big money. Uh, so there's the incentive, too. Yeah, and that's and I, I'm not even necessarily speaking about this from a, a job perspective, but, again, you've got 300-plus players in the NBA, 15 times, you know, 30-plus teams. You, you've got a lot of players. Not everybody's going to be an all-star, but everybody hopes to be. And so in order to, in order to yeah. promote that, this is what the NBA is trying to do to get you to start playing your players. And again, I've heard from numerous individuals, and, and again, I, it's a matter of opinion, but I do know that when you go see a game, and you said this, and it's worth saying again, when a, someone goes to see a game, they may not have season tickets. They may not have that opportunity to go every other weekend to make sure that they catch marquee player number one or marquee right. player number two. Yeah. Or somebody's coming into town like a – Let's just go with when I saw Kobe Bryant. Well, in, even LeBron. Yes. Like him or not. Especially now. Kind of want to see him. Yeah. Right? Well, and especially now, as you know, he gets closer and closer to 40. Yeah. And how yeah. much longer is he actually going to play? Sure. So now all of a sudden you acquire that ticket. And then the Lakers are like, you know what? And they and you acquire that ticket. You don't acquire that ticket five minutes before the game. Right. Some people do. But you acquire that ticket and make plans. Right. And so then all of a sudden you buy that ticket. And outside of an, an injury, knock on wood, you hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. You make plans, you get your plane tickets, you get your car tickets, you get your gas, you get your whatever. You get down there, you Uber, you get to the stadium, and then all of a sudden like, well, we're not playing tonight. LeBron's, but, LeBron's resting. But he's older, and he may rest. You, sure. you have to really realize that now. You do. Okay. But uh, for, Other for Ja, like, kind of want to – but Ja, he, uh, I guess, the head coach of Memphis, what is his name? Taylor Jenkins. Yeah, it's his, it's his job to, to rest Ja because – and here's the reason I know that – um, because Matt McMahon said, uh, they said, how come you don't rest Ja? Uh, he said, well, that, I'm going to let his next coach do that. So Taylor, yeah. it's Jenkins. 
Matt didn't want to rest him. Oh, no. So he would have, if they had a 162-game season, he would have played all of them. Right. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, Matt, Matt makes a great point. Like, I mean, it's like we'll let you're, the next coach do that. The NBA has to make those decisions. GMs and coaches yeah. combined make those calls. I mean, yes, a player can go in and say, man, coach, yeah. something's up. And Matt's, you know, he, he was joking about it, but two games a week as opposed to sometimes playing, what, four or five games a I, week? Sometimes. I have seen actually a couple times last year where teams played four and they would even play like back to back, get a two day break, yeah, back yeah. to back again just to cram in the and those 82 are games. Rough. That's right. tough. Yeah. I mean, especially a guy like John. Again, we're just using him as a, as a reference, but, you know, somebody who with his kind of usage is going to play anywhere between 32 and 34 minutes of that. And he wants to play. I mean, it's not like you're like, uh, I don't really want. He really does want to. But then you also have teams and insurance. Yeah. And teams looking to make a playoff run have to ensure that their players are going to be healthy and fit and ready to go. Sure. They have to make a tough decision. I know. So I get get both sides of the argument about, well, who gets to make the decision versus why are these new rules coming into play? It's a good starting point for it. Yes. I think start here. You can maybe see after a year, we need to tweak it this way or that way. But I think it's something that really needs to be done. No, oh, absolutely. Well, Neil, before we get out of here, I want to go ahead and say really quick. Do you want to give a? I, I want to give a shout out actually, and I actually I, I've never done this, and I, but I but I do want to say that anybody that listens to the podcast and actually needs a shout out, do let me know. Shoot me a message on Twitter. Shoot me an email. Journalist.edward at gmail.com. I have absolutely no problem doing shout outs, but it's just not something I've ever really done before. But I, I do want to do it here. Big Al Mason, really thank you for your contributions uh, and uh, just the appreciation that you've shown our podcast. We know you're a huge racer fan. Also want to give a big shout out to your roommate and and really good friend Dana. Uh, Obviously, she's recovering uh, from a terrible accident there in Colorado, and and it's good to hear that she's doing extremely well. Al, thank you. We know that you know, you're certainly in, in a much better place uh, with your roommate and your friend doing, uh, you know, doing uh, doing well. Uh, and it's good to hear that inspiring story as she continues to recover and rebound from her injuries. So, again, like I said, do do feel free. Uh, Al was able to contact me and, and, and let me know that he'd like a shout-out. And if anybody else would like a shout-out, I certainly have no problem uh, putting that together. Uh, Neil and I and other people get a chance to podcast about once every two or three weeks. And so if something comes up, do let me know and uh, yeah, look for more shout outs in the future. But uh, Neil, it's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. My cat over there has decided to start meowing at me. For oh, he's telling you it's time to go to bed, man. It is time to That's go to bed. That's what he's saying. I will leave you with this. Okay. I have one more episode of Parks and Recreation. One more. The series finale. The series finale. And so we just got finished with the episode that was the two funerals uh-huh. in which Ron Swanson deeply mourned the loss of his uh his barber mm-hmm. uh and then it was hilarious because he was like i'm leaving you this 10 but i'm gonna definitely ask, ask your wife for the two dollars change because right. i don't leave tips and i don't believe in tips i have to say very briefly and i the dishwasher would like to have a podcast with us I know and we will it before we'll do we one. will we are going to do a parks and recreation we, we won't break down all seven seasons but it's we'll gonna talk be about, it's part of your uh your uh for those who inquired? I think so, yeah. A bonus issue. A huh? bonus issue, and I think the dishwasher is going to okay. make an appearance. She she definitely want to talk, wants to talk Parks and Recreation. She worked so hard to get me to sit down and watch it, and now I I, just, I can't get enough of it. And it's just... And I know you had, you, had, you had even mentioned that there were parts of it that I was really going to like, and I just... I have to admit, it's it's such a terrific, terrific show. And I, just, I think... 
I, I think the tropes are there, obviously. People that I see every day that I'm just like, man, that is yeah, that is definitely my wife's Leslie Nope. I really <laughs> and and to be and to be fair, my wife is Leslie Nope. I'm Ben. I don't necessarily know if I'm as intense as Ice Town Ben, uh, the 18 year old failed mayor, but I I definitely like Cones of Dunshire. Yeah, I, I that is definitely something. I can see you coming up with something that as dumb. I as, mean that good as ridiculous. Sorry, misspoke. Oh yeah, you absolutely misspoke because it was absolutely a phenomenal game, uh, and an amazing way for them to uh, spoiler. By the way, if you haven't seen the show, an amazing way for them to get free internet for all of Pawnee yeah. uh, by, by uh, beating the team, the executive team of Grizzle at their own board game. <laughs> I, the, the recurring, my favorite recurring storyline in the entire show does have to be the accounting firm and how Ben and then April have had to decline multiple jobs at the accounting firm. Yeah. Uh, and that they love him so much. Barney. And, yes. Every accounting joke. They just love <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know. There's just, Ron Swanson, though, is my favorite character, uh, and it's not close. Yeah. And he and I do not align politically at all, and I don't care because he's not wrong. That's my favorite part. <laughs> he's not wrong. And his relationship with Leslie, I now deeply understand, and I know you and, and, and the dishwasher, Aaron, my wife will explain it even further to me when we break it down, but I feel like a Leslie Nope ron swanson ticket in either direction vp you know president vice president i got two t-shirts that say it ed you're i get it now i know there you go i know why i also have a i have two nope i have two swanson nope and one nope swanson so oh you can alternate them so you actually have the alternates yes I, i i think it makes sense i think like she would be a terrific vice president she would be a terrific president but so would ron swanson you have nope Swan. Well, see, the only thing I have, I, I I do like Leslie a lot, but the fact that she has this thing with Joe Biden, uh, that's the thing I do not like. Well, about her. so it's hilarious because they actually, it's just, it is funny because the show is <laughs> relatively archaic. Yes, in that regard, it is. Like it, it, it's interesting to see how that's even pushed forward ten years later. Yeah. Well, no, it's not been ten years, but it's been five. Since the finale, right. wasn't the finale in 2018? Is that right? No, no. 20, or was no, it even earlier than that? A lot earlier than that. Yeah. Well, I, I just all feel so relative to me. But I say these things, and it's just like it's. It, I don't know. It's funny. It's funny to me to see what they were referencing, even in those moments. Now moving into 2023, just how hip they were to where things were headed. 2015. Okay. Okay. So I, I, I wasn't terribly off, but I mean, I was, I mean, three years is a big difference because yeah. you know, there was a lot of changes going between 2015 to 2018, but I digress. That's the first time I've said that in the show that those are the drink away. Those are, I, I don't know. That's just one of my favorite storylines. And, and I mean, politi- politics aside and, and the political push, the whole thing of their move to Washington and, his idea of getting everybody out of government work uh, is absolutely just gold, and, and the show's great. But so. you have, you mentioned Ron and Leslie. They are polar opposites politically, mm-hmm. yet within that government, they make it work. And they, that's what you're supposed to do. They solve problems. Yes. That's what you're supposed to now do. They solve make, problems. They make plenty of problems. They do make plenty of problems, but at the end of the day, they do... Uh, 
get things done. They do. They get things uh, done. And in the, the Nope Swanson shirt that I have, more parks, fewer libraries. Which that's, that's what it says. That, right and, and, okay, so that and uh, real quick, I totally. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love libraries, but I do think that that is a hilarious common ground between the two of Both. them. You don't want an educated public. I mean, <laughs> you don't want people politically savvy and knowing things. Yeah. If in libraries cause those kind of problems. Yeah, Ed. they do. You've got my keep- wife is a librarian, so I know the kind of problems they can cause. You're better off to have them not knowing anything, no access to libraries. There you go. And you've got to keep them in the dark. And that's it. So if you could do that, then, but uh, that, that's kind of, and the odd part is how librarians love the show. You would Look, think they would hate the show. You would think. But they got Leslie Nope Awards that they give out at libraries uh, because of, they get it. They get the joke. They do get it. They do get it. And I think that's the best part of the show. It gets itself. And yeah. people that watch it realize, oh, this is rural America. Yeah. This is exactly how local governments end up failing in com- in comedic ways. That's so, right. Uh, Ed, I can look here and see Ed is a punk-ass book jockey. I can see right here. Yeah. Because he's got like eight books to his left over there. Uh, you know what's really crazy about that? So it's eight <laughs> D&D books. And oh, the, oh the well, the hilarious part about it is my wife gets onto me all the time because I don't read enough. Yeah. The dishwasher yells at me sometimes. Uh, but during my vacation in Savannah a month ago, I finished two books Hell finally. Oh. Wow. I did. I finished Blood in the Garden, and I fi- which is about the New York Knicks in the 90s, written by Chris Herring. Terrific. Absolutely terrific. Well, uh, Ed, I, I've said, and said many times in, in uh, uh, the books, you know, the wife, probably at our household, we combined to read about 25 books a year, uh-huh. maybe 30. And the, my wife reads all of them. But nevertheless, <laughs> as, I have, as I've said, to me, there's nothing like uh, – you know, you got a fall afternoon, rain coming down, cloud, rumbles of thunder, curl up on the couch with a good book, put your drink on it, and watch sports all day. To me, that's the best thing <laughs> you can possibly do. I just love it. Yeah, and that's so. exactly and that's exactly what I do most of the time. And then my wife reading the book. Oh. All right. Well, I'm closing closing the book on this episode. We'll see you soon. I'm just thankful for this team. First off, I just want to say thank you to my team, my, te- my teammates, my family, uh, God, all glory to God, because I couldn't, we ha- couldn't have put this one out without him. Uh, I just want to say shout out to the team. Uh, we put in a lot of work for this to start off this way, and uh, we got to just keep the train rolling. How big is it for you guys to start the year with a win, knowing what's to come on Thursday night? It's very big, but it's going to be a quick turnaround. We can't, we can't uh, keep thinking about this win tonight. We got to hurry up and turn around and get ready for Thursday because that's a big one. We got to go try to steal one. Coming in, you knew this special game, you know, game 1,000 for this program. What's it like to be on the winning side of this thing and be a part of that history? I mean, it's great. We always love winning, but in a fashion like that, it was a great win. Uh, Presbyterian was a great opponent for the 1,000th game. Uh, they came out and played very hard, but we just came out and did what we had to do and win the game. What worked so well for you guys? Everything was working well. We uh, ended up doing what we had to do. We uh, played very well offensively. We controlled the offensive line. We controlled the up front. And then the defense came in and got some big stops to start off the second half. And we just went from there. Just uh, kept building, kept doing what we had to do, kept uh, building the lead up. DJ, how did it feel to be back after what happened the first game last year? 
felt amazing. I can't lie. Like, I've been dreaming about this, like, the whole week. So I've dreamt about it all last year, but uh, this whole past week, I couldn't sleep or anything like that. I was just so ready for the game. It felt so great to be back out there with my teammates. And uh, I'm just happy to be playing a game I love again. I was going to say, welcome back. Thank you, thank you, thank you. DJ, after, I know it's, it's easy to harp on last year, but after that first game, there were a lot of considerable injuries, very important yeah. injuries. Tonight, mostly injury-free. What's it like to see a depth chart that looks full of talent? It's great. Finally, we got, we got out of game one with little to no injuries. That's what we're trying to do, trying to stay healthy, because that's what we need everybody for. We can't do this without anybody without anybody going down. We're trying to build everybody up, and we need everybody to do what we got to do. Practice, games, everybody, we need everybody. So having everybody come out of this first game after last year, not even making it out the first half, it's great to see everybody healthy and just getting on the winning side of things early. With you coming back being healthy again, you know, it felt like we didn't get to see a whole lot of like testing you coming back yeah. until two minutes left in the second quarter yeah. when you guys had to do that two-minute drill. And you guys go down and score in a minute. What was that drive like for you? I mean, we've been doing a lot of two-minute drills uh, throughout the year, and we've been very, very good at them, actually. So it was just great getting in that situation, moving fast, moving up pace and not uh, doing anything, but I just felt great going out there. I felt very confident going out there because we do it so many times at practice, the two-minute drill. So uh, the coach gave me the keys, and let's, we just had to do it. You look like your mobility is still pretty good. Yeah. You, how's the knee feeling right now? The knee's feeling great, honestly. I've rehabbed so hard with Foden Hart and Josh Medley that I'm ready for anything right now. I honestly was waiting to move a little bit just to see what I was able to do because in practice, I'm not moving too much. Nobody's trying to tackle me. So it felt great out there today being back and doing what I have to do. You mentioned practice a lot. I know you guys have been out there grinding every day. How nice is it to see the fruit of your labor kind of pay off in week one? It feels great. I, honestly, we see um, a lot of improvement from last year. We see a lot of improvement daily and practice uh, going day by day and everybody getting on the same uh, accord so we can keep doing what we got to do and keep winning. So things like that, just coming to practice and working very hard is going to keep leading the wins and wins and wins, and that's what we're trying to do. DJ, there's a lot of uh, in, uh, rotation with the run backs. Of, yeah. Like having that depth, how good does it feel to have like so many quality backs uh, to lean on? We have everybody in that running back room can go. What I mean can go, everybody in that running back room can go. So if you put one in, that one going to go. If you put the next one in, that one going to go. That running back room is probably the deepest room in FCS football right now. They are very talented, and they coach by a very good coach. All right, I think they'll do. Thanks, DJ. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks. Thank y'all. Congrats. Hi. Ready to go, Taylor? Yep, ready. All right. Wide receiver Taylor Shields. Uh, just a brief comment about how well you thought you performed, and then we'll move on. Um, I felt like it was a pretty good game to start the season off, you know, thanks to my teammates, God, and my family for the support. So I couldn't thank them enough for believing in me and having me out there because they trusted me. So that's always nice. Uh, Taylor, I know you've probably answered this question a thousand times, but what makes you such a specific and successful deep threat? I mean, you were, you were that last year, you became that, mm -hmm. and you showed it again tonight. What, what do you do to make that happen? Um, basically just practice and getting in work in the offseason to gain that trust from my quarterbacks 
and that's the really big thing about it. And you know, they trust me, I trust them, so they throw it deep, I go get it. So yeah, that's great. For you guys to hit those big plays to you a couple times, mm-hmm. how that make you feel as a receiver? Puts points on the board. Yeah, that made me feel great right there. You know, scoring touchdowns is no other better feeling like it. So that's always nice right there. You talk about you talk about trusting your quarterback. Mm-hmm. What was it like being able to get receptions back from, from DJ? It was great. DJ been putting in so much work. Like it's unbelievable how how he bounced back from that injury, such a serious injury, and he been putting in the work in the off season and practice. So he definitely earned his spot and got back right. And he doing his thing. He's showing it now. Describe how much different tonight is from opening night last year. Um, it's very different. I feel like we walked around with a different demeanor this year. We meant business. We went out there and we handled business. So that was nice. Of course. The game went a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a way better outcome in that game. How nice to start the season off with a win, knowing what's to come on Thursday? It's always good to start off with a win, build that confidence up. So hopefully we can stay there and bring that in to next week. And we got a quick turnaround. So we can't dwell too much on this win because we got to get ready for Thursday night. So, yeah, we got to go and pack it up and get ready. Taylor, I couldn't help but notice one of those touchdowns, you're just wide open. Is there a better feeling for a receiver knowing that ball's going to be coming down? You're going to be able to see it. It's not a better feeling than that. When you're wide open, you know the ball coming to you, you're smiling before the ball comes. So that's always nice right there. You mentioned confidence. I'm curious, is it a newfound confidence or was it just confidence coming into the season? I mean, we've been had this confidence coming into the season, but you no, know, we just had to put it in play and show people what we can do and show ourselves what we can do. To be on, I guess, a historic moment for the university, you know, a thousand football game, mm-hmm. to do it, being be a part of it in a winning fashion. What does that kind of mean to you? It's great to be on that side of, you know, getting a thousand wins. A lot of hard work went into that. And this program been, you know, putting in work and getting better over the time. So that was good. Can I ask you more about practice? What have you seen in practice? And do you feel some of those results are paying off now? Definitely. Practice is where it all counts. You know, we practice to get to the game, putting in work, extra hours. So, yeah, practice definitely plays a big part in it. Taylor, how uh... – you're one of the few receivers here that's gotten reps from all three of the quarterbacks, mm-hmm. uh, Jaden and you know, now yep. here at Phoenix, the big touchdown, and, of course, DJ. Yep. Walk us through what you're seeing there in that battle. We know who QB1 is, but how comfortable do you feel with all three? I feel very comfortable with all three. I done got reps, like plenty of reps with all three of them. All three of them look good. All three of them can throw the ball. So it really don't matter who in there. They can all get the job done at the end of the day, and that's what we need. Thanks, David. All right, thank you. Congratulations. Appreciate it. is made ready for battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Uh, we're just really, really blessed. I, mean, I thought the kids did a good job preparing. I thought the coaches did a good job preparing them, uh, but really, really blessed to, uh, you know, to get a victory tonight. I thought, I thought Presbyterian, you know, came to play. Uh, unbelievable first, first half, and, uh, you know, for a team undermanned, and, uh, you know, I thought they just had a great plan. 
I uh, thought their their guys played, you know, really, really hard and, and made some made some big plays, you know, especially in the first half, man. Caught some 50-50 balls, took some balls away from us. Uh, then I thought our kids, you know, came out in the second half and, you know, I think we wore them down. I, you know, we had four or five backs play and they're all, you know, playing well. Had three quarterbacks play, they're all playing well, you know, rolled guys in at, at O-line, D-line, you know, so we just... Uh, you know, I think we wore them down in the, in the second half, and you know we started playing playing better. I think it was kind of like a prize fight in the first half, just kind of jabbing and seeing what you know each other was about and trying to get it trying to get it figured out. You know, being first game and uh, of the season and all that kind of stuff. But I thought the kids came out and really put the pedal to the metal of the second half. What was the biggest adjustment going from the first half to the second? Yeah, I think it was uh, the biggest thing was just, okay, guys, you know, th- this is who they are. You know, this is th- these are the things we practice, and these are the things that we're seeing. Okay, here's some things that were a little bit different, you know, that we didn't practice that we got to, you know, make an adjustment to. And then our kids just, uh, you know, 25 days, and they had the same issue, but, you know, 25 practices you go against, uh, you know, you go against your own team, and now all of a sudden you're going against an opponent and you're trying to figure them out, you know, and, and I think that was a big part of it. You mentioned the practice. Obviously, you guys have been grinding for a while. Are you starting to see some of the practice results pay off? Yeah, I mean, it's it's every uh, you know every time you go out there, you try to get a little bit better at, at something. And the biggest thing's fundamentals. You know, that, that'd probably be the only thing I was disappointed in our in our guys. That you know, we had quite a few uh, you know pre-snap penalties with alignments and stuff like that. You know, which which that's uh, that's fundamentals of the game and discipline, and we just can't do that. In terms of being impressed, what impressed you tonight? Uh, you know, how well we ran the ball, uh, how we responded in the second half with, with uh, you know, a team that's, that's hanging in there and that, that we felt like we uh, should have been successful against. And, and I thought they, you know, came out with a different mentality in the, in the second half just overall. Dean, talk about the Simmons 1,000th game in the history of this program. Pretty special time. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said at the beginning, we're really, really blessed, and uh, as a as a team, and, and we're blessed as a program, and you know, we're we're standing on the shoulders of a lot of a lot of great men, a lot of great players, and uh, you know, we don't take that lightly. Is this pretty much how you thought game one would go? <laughs> well, uh, surely not in the first half, you know, and if you get uh, to where you're. Uh, Anticipating how the game's going to go, you're going to be uh, severely, <laughs> severely shocked uh, quite a quite a few times in this profession. So, <clears throat> you know, we weren't sure how it was going to go. You know, uh, I've told some people that you know we had 14 new guys in January, and 12 of those guys got a lot of playing time tonight. And then we had 14 more come in the summer in either July or August, and we had a big big crop of those guys play too. So, I mean, shoot, we had to we had to figure you know figure our team out, and this game helped. And you know, the next two will be be helpful as well to try to figure our guys out. Players mentioned kind of a newfound confidence. What have you seen in practice that maybe is attributing to that? Yeah, I think just the fact that we are, uh, you know, making some plays in, in practice, in some scrimmage situations, you know, that we weren't making in the past. You know, we're, we're just, uh, you know, DJ being back there gives us, you know, gave us confidence, you know, having him back. Uh, that was a big, big help. You know, the, the down at down in Lubbock, you know, last play of the first half, kind of the whole air went out of the went out of the balloon, you know, and it was really hard to get it pumped back up again, you know. So DJ just being out there, uh, you know, get, gets the guys excited. Uh, you know, making plays in the secondary from a standpoint of, of big runs. You know, last year we had a lot of big runs that that we just never got down. You know, we just didn't have enough speed, weren't tackling well enough back there, and you can see in the scrimmages that we've got a little more. Uh, speed in the secondary 
uh, to get big plays, you know, down. So it's not for, you know, it's a 30, 40-yard gain instead of a 70-yard touchdown uh, and give us a chance to play again. So I think I think some of those things happen in practice and scrimmages and all that, and then now in the games, giving our guys a lot of confidence. How much confidence do you have with your quarterback room now, now that, now that DJ's back, but also that you have two experienced backers behind him? Yeah, I mean, that was the, that was the thing going into the offseason. You know, first off, you get, you get cured, you know, right away when you have, when you get healthy, you know, because, uh, you know, didn't have DJ from, from uh, you know, Texas Tech on. And, you know, Stinson got hurt in training camp, so he was in a boot until Eastern Illinois week, you know. Uh, so you got those two back, your, your room's way better, you know, just to start with. Uh, then when you get Eric Phoenix, a guy that won 10 or 11 games at, at the Division II level, guys played a lot of ball and won, won a lot of football games. You add that guy to the room. And then also now you got, uh, you know, McNamee's a year older. You know, McNamee started the Ball State game for us. You know, he was just a high schooler a couple months prior. Uh, you know, so you got, uh, you know, Stinson back getting reps. DJ's back to himself. Uh, Eric Phoenix, you know, and then the development of McNamee. I mean, the, the quarterback room is, is really, really good right now. Thinking you describe the feeling right now compared to the opener last year, you're ready to go off playing back to Murray, knowing your start quarterbacks out, knowing yep. your backup is in a boot still. Yeah, big difference. Big difference. You know, we 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 had a rough time. You know, and that's that's a big big part of college football is that guy that's behind the center. And uh, you know, we had guys step in, man. Really really proud. You know, Lucas Maui. He was a walk-on, you know, sophomore kid that came in and gave us a, a lot of reps. You know, McNamee came in and, uh, you know, gave us a lot of reps. You know, we used Tez Brooks back there, you know, Wildcat, and, you know, just find, trying to find a way to, to move the ball. But, you know, when uh, when that position is down, it's it's really, really difficult. You know, so to have D.J. back, Stinson back, uh, Eric Phoenix, you know, we feel a whole lot better. Now, D.J. goes on the two-minute drill to get the touchdown before half. How big was that? That's huge, you know, and that's you know that's what you always talk about is kind of field position and do you want to you know do you want to do that and uh, no question we wanted to got confidence in our receivers got confidence in our O line you know protecting the quarterback and got confidence all uh, you know obviously in DJ throwing the ball. Uh, Coach, I was going to say first I know last year your mantra was fight to the finish. There's something new this year you're telling the team or no. <laughs> There's nothing new. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna fight to the finish every game. We love, yeah, we, 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 we love football, and we're gonna fight to the finish. Yes, sir. And, and then going off that, what does win one mean for this program just moving forward in terms of a short week and football on Thursday? Well, you know, it's it's you learn, you know, you learn a lot in a in a loss, you know, but it's it's tough, man. It's a this is a tough profession. Uh, you know, you, you take it so personally, and the kids work so hard, and the coaches and the kids both put so many hours in. Uh, you know, it always it's always better. You know, when you win, uh, obviously you can't let things get masked. You know, there, there's mistakes, and you can't let things get masked, uh, you know, when, when you have those wins. And uh, so you got to look at those things. So we'll look at it. You know, we'll look at it quick and, uh, you know, get right back to work. Can you say anything about U of all? They played last night, but I imagine they're still there. Yeah, yeah, we, we, were, we were all eyes on Presbyterian, so really couldn't tell you, you know, any, anything about, you know, Louisville. Coach, there's there's not many depth charts that'll have three deep. We saw four deep for running back. How confident are you in that room, and, and how do you sort that out moving forward? Yeah, that that room's good too. And you know, we felt the same way going into running backs. We did quarterbacks. We're like, hey man, we're gonna we're gonna you know DJ's our starter, but we're probably gonna play three guys. You know, uh, and and at running back, we felt the same way. You know, we felt hey, we're gonna start Q Jennings, but we're probably gonna play you know four guys. I didn't think we'd get to five and six. You know. 
uh, you know, Cortez Jones is, is, is you know, four. And, and then, uh, you know, uh, we got Kai Galbraith, you know, scored our first, tu- first touchdown as our fifth. And, and then DJ Escort, 44, got in there. And, you know, he's our sixth. And he, he looked pretty good running it, you know. So we're pretty, pretty deep in that running back room, too. Coach, it feels like every year since the spring of 21 season, even that season, um, it's just been a new challenge for you guys. And do you, do you think that this game, as well as the Louisville game, is like good for you guys going into the, the new conference? Yeah, I mean, you know, your, your uh, first three games, you know, before getting into your conference are, are you know, obviously important. It's different for us because we've never been in the conference, you know, so I don't think any of these three games will really give us an indicator of where are we in the conference. You know, I don't think we'll know that truly till we play Indiana State, you know, and then we'll have a little bit of an idea. Any more questions? All right. All thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, man. There you go. Some stats. Yeah, we just got them. Yeah, Congratulations. Here, close up. Do you need them? Good. 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 Good.